KP, KPC, News, Information, Culture, KPCC, California Sensibility. Hi, I'm Rebecca Lehrer. And I'm Amy Choi, and we are the Mashup Americans. You guys, um, I think you know, but gratitude is maybe number one on our values list. But it's in a close competition. So it's going to tie with good food. I mean, every day we're grateful for good food. Exactly. So that's, that's exactly uh, right. Yes, thank that's, you. that's how they come together. <laughs> um, I mean, we feel so, so lucky for the opportunities that we've been given by our families and the circumstances we grew up in. And that brings us to Thanksgiving. The holiday of gratitude and good food, Mm -hmm. if you ignore all the other things that Thanksgiving is supposed to represent. (laughs) Um, So, (laughs) Amy, what was your Korean, Chicago, and American Thanksgiving tradition? It was turkey. It was gochujang to dip the turkey into. It was panchan, Mm. white rice, of course, because no meal could be eaten without white rice. And also, I got stovetop stuffing, which will always live in my heart. As one of the world's most glorious foods. I like the mushiness. I like the fake dried herbs that are in there. I like how you can yes. like pick up half the plate with, with just one fork. And then how it tastes the next day. Mm-hmm. For Thanksgiving in my family, so I have an aunt who's from Pennsylvania. And I think about her teaching us about quote-unquote American food for Thanksgiving. So she would make these amazing pickled beet eggs and pumpkin pie. Are pickled beet eggs American? I have no idea. I mean, I think so. <laughs> to me, they are. Right. It's like beets, pickled beet eggs. They're maybe they're Pennsylvania Dutch. I, ah. I like. I don't even want to look it up. It no. just I just for me, it's like that's what American Thanksgiving food is. Well, that makes you perfect know? sense to me, and I'm very <laughs> grateful for it. Chef Warrior D, hamburger helper, stovetop stuffing, and I'm thankful for the Pennsylvania Dutch. God bless them. God bless. God, God bless. bless them. And you know, and as I get older, I just as you said, I get ever more grateful for all of the different kinds of opportunities that I've had, but especially to just meet people from all around the world who are so in some ways so different from me like our guest today Robin Farzad we are old buddies journalism colleagues from our days at Business Week magazine and over the years we've become really great friends Um, Robin is an Iranian Jew who immigrated to Miami as a kid grew up there so alongside Farsi and English he also speaks a mean Cuban Spanish He's incredible. And ever since Robin became a dad, he's been thinking a lot about what success means to him. His gratitude towards his family and their sacrifices that they made for him when they moved from Shiraz in Iran to uh, Miami and his dad was a doctor and then had to start all over. And, And now Robin's thinking a lot about happiness and what that means for his children. So get ready to cry, guys. No big deal. Time to cry for sure. On to the show. All right, Robin Farzad, how do you mesh up? Gosh, I once told you I'm a renegade of funk, (laughs) but uh, you also understand that I'm an Iranian Jew living in the former capital of the Confederacy. Uh, and loving it. <laughs> Why? I mean, okay, well, so here's something. How did you end up in the former capital of the Confederacy, our Iranian Jewish friend? This is where my wife was born and raised. And I did grow up a Civil War buff, but had no idea that I would ever end up here. Um, and when my son arrived, my son was early in uh, 
arrived early in 2010 and it completely had changed my life. Um, I, I decided for starters, I mean, I decided long ago never to walk in anyone's shadow, but when my son arrived, I really wanted to situate my entire life, uh, around being a father and, um, uh, uh, building it on the foundation of being a happy and committed father. So uh, we needed help, and my in-laws were here, and it was a traumatic time because my, you know, our magazine, you might remember this, Amy, was bought by Bloomberg. Oh no, I blotted that was, whole thing out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was tumultuous, and and it really forced me to make a decision that I had put off for a long time because you know, as, as as a lot of us immigrants, we just immerse ourselves in accomplishment and academics and work and you hit up against the wall at some point and you realize you, you, you might have been going in the wrong direction. What are some of the things that have surprised you about living in the South as this Persian Jew um, that you didn't expect, given your perspective as like a Miami New Yorker? For starters, you would think that there'd be Confederate flags everywhere. And I literally, in my four years here, have seen one confederate flag mm. and it's since been taken down you're more you're much more likely to see gay pride flags it's a very uh lgbt friendly town uh it's a maker's town a lot of people who like you know making like i know a guy who does he he, he likes to make solar ovens and and solar presses and do everything through solar uh another company it does uh you know denim here in the ruins of the old tobacco district uh, we have a massive advertising agency here, the Martin Agency, and I was absolutely blown away. I used as a as a portal when I was kind of lonely uh, when I first moved here and I was trying to get my sea legs. Uh, Amy, we'd always talk about Korean food and you'd send me to the best Korean fried chicken places in Jackson Heights. And I found a Korea town here. There's always one, Robin. Yeah. And maybe a town yeah, of two but... <laughs> families, but there's always a Korea town. Yeah. There's always a Korea town. And then we got a banchan chicken here, but we have a little Vietnam. We have a little Bosnia. I found an enormous Iranian community here from my city in Shiraz. Mm. Uh, in fact, I had a gentleman on my show. I, I met him at Whole Foods. He's working in the grocery aisle and he thought that it was like destiny that he bumped into me and that I could review his resumes. Like, I was like, how did you hear about this place? He's like, Richmond? Everybody know Richmond in Iran. <laughs> I mean, that's so surprising, uh, <laughs> right? Because you think about the South and that, that these these stories that you're telling are absolutely the opposite. I think of like a Yankees view of what Virginia would be like. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Amy, I'm also in my in my former life. I covered markets and Wall Street for Business Week. And uh, this is this is like contrarian investing. Uh, if everybody is rushing into something like, I don't know where you live, girlfriend, Greenpoint or Williamsburg or... <laughs> Hello, I now live in Prospect cool Heights. School. Prospect Heights. Oh, the Stroller District. I am District. a mother. I mean, yes. I, you know, that, that, that I was I was completely chased out of New York. I mean, I, I left with a white flag flying out of my car. We have some great stories and recipes for Thanksgiving on our site. Do you need Paige's Chinatown sticky rice Chinese sausage stuffing or some of Nuria's turkey adobado with guava glaze? We got you. Visit mashupamericans.com and check it out. Well, my friends, the time is Raise the roof and have some Well, there's something really interesting what you about what you said earlier that, um, you know, that as immigrants, we're very much focused on accomplishments. And for lack of a better kind of cultural translation, that accomplishment is 
is often equated with with dollars or, you know, in our case, like a a byline in a a known entity such as Business Week, and that that starts to mean less and less. And I wonder if that makes us in some ways more entrenched in American culture, that like what we value as important is less about uh, something so measurable but don't As they say that, that that also generationally, like one of the sayings is that like, you know, the first generation is a is like work worker, and then the second generation is the professional, and then the third generation is all the artists. <laughs> 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 that there's something that happens, like like there's a proving, and then there's like we've proved, and now we get to try something else. I'm not the only one who noticed that uh, that Jewish and Korean roommates freshman year get along famously because they talk about just this. Yeah. <laughs> they say the Koreans are the new Jews. It's like the Jews that got here in the 1950s, academics, and now it's athletics. And then their sons and daughters will be stoners and slackers and creatives. <laughs> and and the Koreans are in the process of kind of breaking away from... I mean, They're you know entering the really slacker-stoner section. Oh, you, God yeah, bless. I, I tell you, you know what's beautifully metaphoric for this was the first episode ever of Anthony Bourdain's parts unknown was Koreatown LA yeah. I urge you and all of your and it did it in LA and you're like okay fine easy you could do LA Western and Olympic but the Korean culinary and design stars who kind of broke away from their overbearing families they took Bourdain to Sizzler yeah and it's like Sizzler Sizzler is where you'd be taken if you got straight A's no yeah. A minuses or anything excuse me my family took me to Ponderosa Ponderosa. I mean, I, in, my in family took me to Sizzler, and let me tell you, that salad bar, so and those good, shrimp poppers or whatever. And you know, they got they got Bourdain to eat at Sizzler. But something that's heartbreaking about it, and they all laughed it off, was they all were hit by their parents in the same way. You know, you hold a book, you hold it above your head, and you get beaten on your back. And um, you know, we we might make light of all this stuff, and you know, back in the day, I'd I'd get slammed or something as an immigrant. But that also that that also makes for all of this pent up trauma. I feel, you know, in my wise 40th year now, I can say that that a lot of immigrants sublimate that into accomplishment. They think that if they just get the best grades, if they just make their parents proud, if they get the best accolades and scholarships, that they will be vindicated. I've been running away from that my whole life. Mm. I've been running away from the terror of um my dad dropping me off at preschool, my not knowing the language, mm. my being afraid to tell the teacher how to go to the bathroom. Um, Iran was a very controversial place. There was a lot of death to America stuff going on. I was put in a Jewish preschool in Miami. A lot of the teachers I found out belatedly resented me. And every morning uh, was just terror, was getting peeled off of my dad's leg and, and sobbing and crying. And um I guess at some point in kindergarten or first grade, I'd realized that by, by uh, through education or giving the best speech or getting the best grades, I could prove that experience wrong and mm. I could better repress it. But uh, to bring it back to my son, I mean, he, he, he really put it back in, in front of my face and forced me to deal with it. I know I'm not giving you guys a psych co-payment for this, <laughs> but uh, it's, something re- it's something actually really important for me to share. Absolutely. Um, that if you if you were to talk to the thirty year old me versus the forty year old me, it's it's really changed my entire uh, the entire axis of my earth. We we've actually been talking a lot about sort of similar ideas of like, as a parent, what you are inheriting and your own kind of traumas, and then knowing what you're giving to your kids, right? Like how what are you right. passing along, and what how can you kind of change a narrative that 
like the genetics of sort of the children of Holocaust survivors, for instance, yeah. is like they are changed. I did. I did read that. Yeah. And there's something to that effect, I think, across so many. Well, to be fair, everybody in this conversation is a child or grandchild of war. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, we're doing OK, though. Yeah, right? we're doing <laughs> damn good. No, but Robin, that is so moving. And it's really it's an incredible thing and to talk about this idea of like becoming American and and rooting yourself in a place and finding creating new roots yeah like choosing really choosing what our futures are going to be and then to see your child uh, take their place in that and yeah. what choices you are you are making for them and what you hope that they'll do as well it was a mystery to me why you know when my you know I don't know if this will make sense but maybe it will why when my son was born i missed i started missing my dad intensely and even when my dad was there to hold my son or would come and visit us in new york why i'd always worry about his demise why i would um i i think the only happiness in life would be seeing my dad hold my uh, infant weak son while i was there mm -hmm. and it took a long time to kind of solve that mystery for me um my dad was very much weakened in this country. He was in Iran. In Iran, he was a celebrated doctor. And he came to the United States. And those mornings where he had to drop me off traumatically at preschool and I'd be sobbing for an hour and the teacher would be screaming at me, he was going off to uh, Kaplan classes to try to learn English to crack the uh, TOEFL exam. Mm -hmm. He passed the, med the medical portion of, of uh, physician's reciprocity with flying colors, but he'd always come in 20 points short on English proficiency. And this was five or six times. So he took a lot of odd jobs those first couple of years in the United States. I think the archdiocese gave him a, a job as a physician's assistant. Um, and he'd just take a pager and work for 48 hours straight and I wouldn't see him. And only realizing this 35 years after the fact, it turns out that, you know, he inadvertently passed a lot of his trauma and anxiety to me mm -hmm. um, by, by bringing me here. I mean, he did the right thing and we fled Iran as Jews and he, he left everything behind uh, to, to raise me in the United States. We went to Miami because my aunt uh, had been in medical school there and she could accept us. Um, but um, he really did not have the quote unquote luxury of holding my hand and, and kind of easing me gingerly into the American experience. Mm -hmm. It was a, it was a baptism by fire. And only until I had this conversation with him in, uh, in August, uh, well, late, you know, autumn of, of 2013, you know, my son was about three and a half. Did I finally have the breakthrough I needed with my father? Did I finally realize that I had been kind of papering over that initial trauma for the better part of, of 36 or 37 years? Um, for my dad, for the first time, to tell me it was hard for me to, it was mm -hmm. hellish for me to, that took the weight of the world off my shoulders because um, I realized it wasn't done out of neglect. It wasn't done out of um, malice. If anything, he wanted to provide a better life for me. But uh, you, what I do remember is my mother sobbing those first couple of years in Miami. She was the wife of a doctor in Iran. She left everything behind. She was ripped away from her family. Her father had died before we left Iran, and you're just plucked in an area, and, and okay, mom, you have to go to beauty school. And right. she's dealt with that PTSD, I think all of us have, in very different ways. Mm. Um, and, and how fascinating that it took a, you know, a little facsimile of me, who was born in 2010, to kind of put that all back into sharp relief for me. How much of that story will you share with your son? 
I think it's critically important for me to share him, but later in life. But more important is, I just don't want him to feel that kind of collateral trauma mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. So I spend a lot of time with my son. I am building everything else on the foundation of being available for my son and my daughter, who was born three years ago. That that is everything for me right now. And um, I cannot feel uh, self-actualized professionally if something is missing at home. Mm. And I feel that these kids are, are insecure. It feels right. But, you know, when you tell a bunch of people in New York you're moving here and you're doing it for family reasons, they're almost kind of giving you condolences. Oh, you know, you're downshifting. Well, you had a good run. Yeah. So that, that was a bitter pill to swallow. The pro, I guess, is that like you were able to find the strength to make that choice versus feeling like you had to stay in the a, a rat race that you weren't, in the end, actually not that interested in staying in f to have the life that you wanted to have. You only realize after you do it that uh, to be a passionate parent and, and a husband and family person, you have to have some modicum of passion at work. Yeah. And you can't just be punching it in. I mean, maybe in our parents' generations, you know, you did that and you showed up at the, the steel factory or the GM factory and did it. But you, all three of us are creatives yeah. and our creative hearts have to sing somewhat. Um, I'm not saying every week I have to whistle on the way to work on Monday mornings, but many weeks I do. And if I'm not, I have to reassess everything. And also work is hard. Even when you love what you're doing, it can be hard, but it doesn't mean that it shouldn't be satisfying. Mashup Americans see things a little differently than everybody else. So every week, we serve up a curated list of the most interesting stories from around the world. Subscribe to our newsletter at mashupamericans.com newsletter for a mashup take on global events. It'll make you think, laugh, and have your thoughts provoked. You will be delighted, so do it. mashupamericans.com newsletter. In our newsletter recently, and it's come up probably regularly, is this idea of um, how American parents are the unhappiest parents. And it's it's very connected to this, which is not only maternity or paternity leave, so not only parental leave, but the ways that our corporate and, and work infrastructure don't really support you to have a family. And, I mean, it's always unfair to just use Scandinavia because everything's just, like, very civilized Well, there's there. four people, and they're all the same. Exactly. So, so it's not really fair. But there are they're just, you know, even just globally, we're so far, far, even the, down the list of happiness because of these issues. I mean, and this is also yeah. something that as a child of immigrants who, you know, I think that that kind of trauma that we're talking about, the the difficulty of being here and, and what our parents had to do to help us survive is that right. I don't think that anybody before us ever had the liberty of even thinking about happiness. Mm. No. You know, like that was never a word that was even a contender for our list of priorities. Was do you mean happy? Anybody before each of us in our, in our personal immigrant stories or in kind of like 
the world order. The it's a you know it's one of those first world world problem hashtag yeah. things you see there. Mm-hmm. Well, so how important do you think that that the reckoning that you did with your father when you 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 know you guys really revealed all of the kind of that past trauma and you and you moved forward? I mean, that to me sounds incredibly rare. And beautiful, but I mean, do you think that other mashups are doing this, or like, you know, what power does that that sort of experience have for you? Like, I mean, it sounds incredibly freeing for you. It, it is incredibly freeing, but I've repressed it for so long. I mean, I'd come home from college and see my dad. My dad would get back from the nursing home at eleven thirty, eleven thirty or midnight or something. He's now a nurse, and we'd stay up till two a.m. talking, and I, I wouldn't realize why would I be weeping. Uh, while I was talking to him, um, these funny jokes he would be telling me, and then I'd get to bed and I'd have tears all over my face. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so I've ke- I kept this down for thirty years. I kept the um, missing my dad element. Um, I, I turn to dad now and I say, you know, you dropped me off. I remember he moved me to um, to college. It was Princeton, nineteen ninety four, freshman year. How did you get on that shuttle bus and go back to the airport and wave? back to me from the shuttle bus i can't imagine doing that with my own son mm-hmm. um and he's like for me it was the this was a dream come true you made me so proud you got a scholarship i i fled violence and everything and it was worth it and then some for you and that should have been the end of the story but i lost sight of the fact that i was covering up this horrible horrible anxiety mm-hmm. when i first got here i mean, I mean imagine not knowing the language imagine not tell, not knowing tell teachers how when you were hungry or when you had to go to the bathroom or just kind of living in in, in terror for the first two years uh, in a new world. I managed, I think, through accomplishment and sublimation and and going off to college and going off to business school and moving to New York uh, to to put that aside for the longest time until the little me was born again. I mean, if it's really um, it's really circular and poetic. Gosh, I was 34 when I became a father for the first time mm-hmm. in that entire first year of seeing my son not being able to latch and get milk and being underweight and the visits to the ER and everything. That really does a subconscious number on you. Yeah. Mm. How does it make you feel now when you hear there's incredible stories about both inspirational and tragic about immigrants and and refugees and who comes to this country and why and all of the rhetoric that surrounds it. What is your experience of that? I have to say I'm not scared anymore, not nearly as scared as I was before. Amy, you know, you worked with me on the 43rd floor at Business Week. That was a scared person every day. And I just, you know, you have your shadow and persona and you can do a good job of covering it up. And that guy knows his beat so well and he's so facile and or or bane that persian heartthrob you know and <laughs> that's was, what she said <laughs> always sure. always i no, always talked about was, you as the it was it was constant fear of losing my job it was constant fear of losing gigs and being one-upped and um not you know performance review stuff and what if i have to go home humiliated to my parents having lost my job and that's no way to live um when you've when you've had that kind of that that mode that fear is as a primary motivator kind of taken away from you. you you slack off for a long time i mean i did <laughs> i found myself i wanted to build something from scratch and i'm in the process of doing it and every time i complete a show um 
not out of fear, but out of enjoyment, out of engaging other people, out of uh, connecting with other people and dispensing empathy, that feels infinitely more rewarding to me because it was it was done without any trans fats or fear or anything. It was done from a from a good place where I was at a kind of a pH of seven and happy to do something <laughs> and happy to connect with people like I am with you right now. What it brings up for me and something I, I think about a lot is what does success mean to me? Obviously, this is, again, a luxury, right? Because we have food and we have our rent or our mortgage paid and or we work hard to make sure that that happens. But like, who do I need to acknowledge <laughs> that I'm doing okay or that what I'm doing is good or interesting in order to feel like... Um, also to feel worthy yeah. of all of that work that other people before you put in. Exactly. Like, how do you hold that gratitude and also feel like you can be open to making decisions that will make you happy versus constantly feeling like everything you do is a could be a poor <laughs> reflection of, of what's everything. Left, well, honestly, what is Becca, what's left for you to accomplish? I mean, you went to the college you wanted to go to. You went to the grad school you wanted to go to corporate accolades left and right. You can hang a shingle and call yourself chief executive thinkfluencer storyteller. Already BS, did BS it. Already did it. And no one and no one is gonna, you know, no one is gonna care at this point. Yeah. Do you have to do you have to get one more corporate title? Do you have to get one more master's degree? Um, does that vindicate you more in your husband's eye or your children's eyes or your parents' eyes? It's a little scary paying for your own health insurance, I'll say that. But getting to see your kids all the time, taking consulting gigs, being in charge of your own schedule and not dreading Monday mornings, that, that Sunday evening yeah. pit in your stomach feeling where here I go again, I'm just working till Friday. And for the longest time, I thought that's just how everyone has to live a life here. And it, I, I don't think it is. Robin, I just want to say thank you so much for talking to us. Oh, anytime. I love you guys. I love your show. We love you. Everybody listen to Full Disclosure, available on NPR One. Yeah, it's going to be on Grinder soon. Definitely check oh, it out. Yeah. Grinder, oh, Grinder. Yeah. <laughs> that was Robin Farzad. You can find him on Twitter, at Robin Farzad. And you can check out his show, Full Disclosure, on all the places that you listen to podcasts, which we know you know how to do because you're listening to us. <laughs> so that story about him and his dad reconciling after all those years, it's like, oh, so many feelings. There so are amazing. Uh, so many feelings. <laughs> um, well, we do say that the Mashup Americans is where America goes for therapy. Mm, that is true. And as your collective therapists, I recommend you listen to more Mashup. <laughs> that is the cure. The Mashup Americans are me, Rebecca Lehrer. And me, Amy Choi. Our producer today was Josh. Gonzalez. Our show is produced by American Public Media and Southern California Public Radio, KPCC. We're also supported in part by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts on the web at arts.gov. Bye! Bye! Bye.